A reading from the prophet Isaiah. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For darkness shall cover the earth, and thick darkness the peoples. But the Lord will arise upon you, and his glory will appear over you. Nations shall come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your dawn. Lift up your eyes and look around. They all gather together. They come to you. Your son shall come from afar, and your daughters shall be carried on their nurses' arms. Then you shall see and be radiant. Your heart shall thrill and rejoice, because the abundance of the sea shall be brought to you. The wealth of the nations shall come to you. A multitude of camels shall cover you, the young camels of Midian and Ephah. All those from Sheba shall come. They shall bring gold and frankincense and shall proclaim the praise of the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Hear the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Matthew. In the time of King Herod, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, wise men came from the east to Jerusalem asking, Where is the child who has been born King of the Jews? For we observed his star at its rising and have come to pay him homage. When King Herod heard this, he was frightened and all Jerusalem with him. And calling together all of the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it has been written by the prophet. And you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who is to shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod secretly called for the wise men and learned from them the exact time when the star had appeared. Then he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word so that I may go and pay him homage. When they had heard the king, they set out, and there ahead of them went the star that they had seen at its rising, until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw that the star had stopped, they were overwhelmed with joy. On entering the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they knelt down and paid him homage. Then opening their treasure chests, they offered him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they left for their own country by another road. This is the gospel of the Lord. Let's pray. Gracious God, we thank you for the light of Christ that has dawned in the darkness of the world and the darkness of our own lives. We confess that we have lived and live often not by that light, but by the light of our own eyes as faithless and unbelieving. And we ask now that you would dawn among us and that Christ the morning star would dawn in our hearts that as we open your scriptures, 
that we would hear your voice and that you would lead us and that we would walk in faith and hope and love by the power of your spirit. So be with us, bless us, and teach us, we pray, through Christ our Lord. Amen. C.S. Lewis once said that, he said, I believe in Christianity as I believe that the sun has risen. Not only because I see it, but because by it I see everything else. Which is a fitting declaration for an occasion such as this as we observe the feast of the Epiphany, this day when we celebrate God's fulfillment in Christ of his ancient promise to make the light of his glory dawn in the darkness of the world and to reveal himself as the Lord to the nations of the earth. God has made himself known in Jesus as a person. And the mysterious, beautiful, life-transforming, world-upending invitation of Epiphany is that God now invites all of the world to know him through his son Jesus. And in knowing him, to see everything differently as we look upon God and ourselves and our situation, our circumstances, one another, the world, as we look upon these things through eyes of faith, illumined by the light of Christ, this light that dawned at Christmas and was revealed to the nations at Epiphany, when wise men, magi from the east, came to Israel to pay homage to the newborn king of Israel. Of course, when Lewis describes the light of Christ by likening Christianity to the sunrise as something he believes not only because he can see it, but because it allows him to see everything else. He doesn't mean that because of faith in Christ, he now sees everything, right? As if faith somehow unlocked exhaustive knowledge of some sort. <laughs> he means that everything he can see, he now sees differently as he looks upon the story of his own life and the history of humanity and what he knows of the world by way of science and philosophy and his own experience, the story that makes sense of it most compellingly to Lewis, he says, is the story of Christ. He's saying that it is the light of Christ that illumines everything from science to ethics to art to interpersonal relationships in a way that resonates with his whole being making his soul sing and his intellect churn and his heart expand to make room for God and others. And this light, the light of God's glory revealed in Christ, is what we celebrate today as we observe the Feast of Epiphany. And we recall the story of the Magi, these wise men coming from the east to Israel to pay homage to the king, which is this moment that God fulfills his ancient promise to make himself known to the nations, a promise that we've already read about in places like Isaiah 60, uh, our Old Testament lesson, and in Psalm 72, which was our responsive reading at the beginning of worship. Epiphany is this beautiful moment when God makes himself known to the world as a God who is for everyone not just a particular tribe, not just for one religious or ethnic or political group, but for all the peoples of the earth. It's remarkable. But at the same time, Epiphany is a challenging day for us because the event that we celebrate, wise men coming from the east to pay honor, uh, homage to baby Jesus, it doesn't really seem to live up to the expectation that God's people would have had 
based on Isaiah 60 and Psalm 72 and the like. These passages that talk about this day when the light of God would shine forth and illumine all things and dispel all the darkness and when the throngs of all the peoples of the earth would come together and worship God as one diverse yet unified family restored in relationship to God and one another, all living together in peace on earth. When we read the story about what actually unfolded, the wise men, we read it with that backdrop in mind, it's, it's kind of hard not to be underwhelmed a little bit by what actually happened, right? It's hard not to read this and be struck with this disappointed sense of, that's it? This is what it looks like when these things are fulfilled? I mean, how is it that this glorious worldwide vision is somehow fulfilled in this tiny little moment of a band of astrologers from Persia showing up to give presents to this child? And at that, the presents seem more appropriate for a funeral than for a baby shower. The the gold is good for all occasions, but the spices are typically used to anoint the dead. It's a, it's a strange story, actually. And when we get past our over-familiarity with it, uh, we can begin to see that the strangeness is actually where the power lies. It's the unexpected way that this story plays out that actually challenges our expectations of how God shows up in our own lives. It's, it's the unexpected way this story plays out that actually trains us to expect the real God to show up the way the real God shows up, rather than endlessly waiting for whatever imaginary God we may expect or create in our own image. And of course, it is the real God who does show up, right, in our world and in our lives, who is the God of power and mercy and love, who changes lives and restores the broken things, whether it's out there in the world or in here in ourselves, in our relationships with one another. It is the real God who shows up. So as we think about this epiphany story, as we think about this, what it means to look upon God and one another and look upon ourselves and our circumstances through the light of Christ, think with me for a moment about how this story helps us think about maybe even our own expectations in a new light. Our expectations have a powerful shaping effect on how we experience the world. We know that, right? Um, And that was no less true for the ancients than it was for us today. The ancient Israelites had their expectations of God and what it ought to look like for God to be active in their lives. And those expectations were largely centered around two things, God's place and God's king. And God's place was the land of Israel and specifically the temple, which was God's house that was at the center of the land. And God's king was the anointed Messiah who would reign under God and over the kingdom. And it's a position that had been vacant for quite a while by the time Jesus arrives on the scene. And it had even been occupied by pretender kings like Herod, who was a puppet of Rome, rather than a real ruler for the people of Israel. But the idea is that God's people, living in God's place and led by God's king, would be God's fountain of blessing for the whole world. That the wisdom and the flourishing life that God would bestow upon this one nation, Israel, would be a gift for all the nations of the earth who would come from afar to experience the goodness of life in God's place with God's people. 
And so the expectation was there that God would someday provide his promised king to restore his promised kingdom. And through that kingdom, bring God's peace to bear upon the earth. And of course, when God finally did provide his promised king in Jesus, he did make good on his ancient promise. But he did it in a way that really defied everybody's expectation of what it would look like. And that is exactly why people missed it. And it's the same reason that you and I miss God most of the time when he actually does show up in our lives. It's because we're looking for something else or we're not looking at all. Our expectations shape our experience. And when we have strong expectations and our experience of God doesn't fit them, we can become disappointed or angry with God, especially when life is hard, when we experience loss or heartbreak, and the hurt that we experience in the world where we live is something we all know. It's things are not what they ought to be. When we have strong expectations and, and God doesn't meet them, it can blind us to what God is actually doing because we think he ought to be doing something else. But similarly, when we have no expectations of God, no discernible experience of him is going to come either, right? It's when we're not looking at all. We will not likely see when he does show up. I've used this illustration before, but um, a number of you remember several years ago the story of the violinist uh, Joshua Bell, right, who played in the D.C. Metro a world-renowned violinist who decided to take his, you know, his multi-million dollar Stradivarius violin down into the metro station to play for commuters in the morning. And, um, and this is a guy that plays to sell out crowds in the biggest venues, right, that people pay hundreds of dollars to see. But he's playing as this average guy, average-looking guy in the metro, playing world-class music. And almost no one stopped. Almost everyone missed the glory in their midst because they weren't expecting to find it, right? It's a remarkable story. It's a sad story in many ways. But they didn't expect him to find him there, so they didn't find him, even when he was standing right there playing the beautiful music that they heard but didn't hear. And it's as simple as that. They weren't paying attention. They weren't expecting anything, and so they missed it. They were moving quickly through the world, guided by their own agendas and not tuned in to what was actually happening around them. And similarly, when you and I don't expect to find God in our midst, when we don't expect God to show up, when we don't expect God to hear us or to care or to do anything, we miss him. Not because he's absent, but because we are. Right? Because we are not paying attention to the way that he is present. Our expectations of what it would be like for God to show up or our complete lack of expectation that he will show up shape our experience of God often to the point where we just pass by quickly and miss the glory in our midst. But Epiphany challenges us to stop and notice like the wise men do the presence of God in unexpected places and the ordinary stuff of life. So as you think about your own expectations of God, what are they and where do they come from? As we start a new year and you 
make resolutions or you set goals or you look forward to things or, or you're excited about closing the book on 2017 maybe for some of you, as you think about moving forward into this new year, I think that is a really important question for each of us to be asking. What do you expect of God? What are your expectations and where do they come from? Are you beginning with your own imagination and seeking a God who fits it? Or are you beginning with God's actual appearing in our world in Christ and then letting the story of Christ shape your imagination and expectation of what God must be like? That's the challenge. That's the invitation of Epiphany to recognize and embrace the God who defies our expectations, the real God who shows up in our real lives and in the real world. So look at this story. How do we see God showing up in this story? Well, obviously God shows up in the person of Jesus, and that's the whole point of the gospel story. He's God in person in our world, and the light of God's glory, when it dawns in the darkness, it dawns as a human person. That is remarkable. It's shockingly humble and human. But beyond that, look at how he shows up. He, the newborn king, he isn't, he isn't in the palace, right? He isn't in the capital city. He's the humble child of ordinary parents living in an unimpressive place. And from the manger all the way to the cross, the story of Christ is one of remarkable humility that reveals to us a God of love who's willing to meet us where we are in the grit and the grime of our real lives and to put himself beneath us so that the burden of our lives and of all that is wrong with the world ultimately falls on him and not us. That's who God is. That's who God has revealed himself to be in Jesus. And he shows up in these ordinary spaces of life to ignite a movement of love, to give himself in self-sacrifice for others, even to the point of death, to rise from the dead in power and glory, and then to come again in the future to finish what he started. And all of that is utterly astonishing. And I don't think any of us, if we were just to draw up some portrait of God as we imagine him, follow your inner light, follow what, you know, tell me, who is God? Who must God be? What must God, would, what, what must God be like? None of us would come up with that. None of us would come up with the real God as he really reveals himself to us in Jesus. It's surprising, it's even fascinating how God leads the wise men from the east into an encounter with Jesus. How does he do it? He uses scriptures that they don't even know and he uses a star that they're following. See, the wise men are astrologers and they read the stars in search of wisdom, which is not, in the, according to the Bible, like a highly acclaimed way to learn things. You know, the, the Bible's view of astrology, generally speaking, is not, is not rose-colored. But that's where God meets them. He meets them in their astrology. And he actually guides them from where they are. In their, he speaks to them in their own language. He uses their own terms, the stars, to lead them to Israel. And of course, the stars, they don't get them the whole way, right? That, that gets the ball rolling, but it's the wise men's following of the star that leads them to Jerusalem, which is where they hear God's teaching in the scriptures about where the Messiah would be born. And with the guidance of both that star and the scriptures, these wise men, the magi, they find the Christ child 
and they pay him homage. It's fascinating. It's even more fascinating when you think about what God uses in your life to lead you to himself or what God uses in my life to bring me into an encounter with him. If you're a person of faith, if you've, if you've been walking with Christ for some time, you likely have your own stories of encountering God and experiencing God's presence. And think of all the ways that God has worked in your life to awaken you and to draw you toward where he is that you would begin to experience life with him. Think of some of the weird things he's used in your life. He used ultimate Frisbee in my life as, as the star that led me into that space. It's another story. I've told it before. I'll tell, tell it again another time. But, but things like that. God will meet us where we are. He will, he will lead you to where he is because he's kind, because he wants you. And if you begin to pay attention to what God is doing in these spaces, we begin to see the glory that is in our midst, even in these very, very ordinary things, as God takes them into his hands and uses them as instruments in our lives. If you're not someone who, who professes faith or if you don't yet have any of these personal stories of encountering God, just think about this. What is it that has drawn you here today? Or what is it in your life that has brought you into a place of curiosity? Or who, what are those relationships in your life that seem to bring forth more life than death, more joy than pain? Who are the people in your life who exude wisdom? And what is it like to be near them? What desires, what relationships, what questions, what sense of there being something more that you want to explore has prompted you to come and participate in this community of faith today and to be around us as we worship our God and listen to these scriptures? What light are you following and why do you think it brought you here? For all of us, that's a, that's a wonderful question for us to reflect on and to bring before God himself. What light is it that has brought me here and God, what are you doing in our midst? God is so kind, isn't he, to meet us on our own turf. And he, he doesn't necessarily answer all our questions. He doesn't scratch every itch or satisfy all of our desires. But he comes to find us where we are and he comes to invite us to join him where he actually is rather than where we expect him to be. And as we encounter this God, as he leads us into these spaces, the question becomes, what do we do then? When you encounter the real God who really shows up, who defies your expectations and calls you into this treacherous space of life with God, what do you do? How do you respond? What do you do with Jesus? In the story, we see two responses, don't we? We see Herod's resistance and the wise men's embrace. Herod's resistance and the wise men's embrace. Herod is frightened. And it's his fear that causes him to resist Jesus as king in order to protect what he wants for himself. And of course, we know from the rest of the story that Herod's self-protective move turns very tragic, very murderous, very quickly. 
On the other hand, the wise men respond in a completely different way. They're open to God's leading, even though they don't fully understand it. And they embrace Jesus as king when they find him and they pay homage to him in costly devotion with these beautiful gifts, precious, valuable gifts. Two responses, self-centered, self-protected fear versus other-centered, self-giving love. Two opposite orientations to the world, to God, and to others. And the challenge of epiphany for all of us is this. Will you embrace the real God who meets you? Will you actually embrace the God who reveals himself to us in Jesus? The God who says, I am a God for everyone, not just for this tribe or this group or this nation state, but for everyone, for you. Will you embrace him or will you resist him in self-protection? Embracing God will absolutely change you and probably not in all of the ways that you expect, but it is, it is this life-giving embrace of the God who embraces you in Christ that is the profound, beautiful, mysterious invitation of this epiphany moment. And as we know him, as we embrace him, the invitation is also to begin to see everything else through those eyes of faith, illumined by the light of Christ. Who is God and how do you know? He is the one who reveals himself in Jesus. Who are we? Who is your neighbor and how do you know? Gaze upon yourself and one another through those eyes of faith illumined by the light of Christ. God in person in our world who has taken to himself human flesh, who's bestowed a dignity we cannot even begin to fathom upon humanity. But a God who came down all the way because our need is so profoundly great. We begin to see ourselves through the eyes of faith, illumined by the light of Christ, we begin to see ourselves and our neighbor as both profoundly dignified and profoundly in need of something that is not most fundamentally inside of us, but outside of us, something God himself must give us. And as we look upon the world through eyes of faith, illumined by the light of Christ, what do we see? We don't see the train wreck that is all we can see when we read headline after headline after headline of the way things are. But what we see is a world that is not without hope, but a world created by God, loved by God, redeemed by God, and destined for a future of life everlasting with the God who has made it, who loves it, and will sustain it forever. Looking at the world through eyes of faith leads us to look at the world through eyes of hope and love and moves us to a place of acting in the world the way Jesus acted in the world. Self-sacrificial love bringing forth fruit of life in the world. This is the glory in our midst. And this is what we are called to behold through eyes of faith as God reveals himself in Jesus as the God who's for all of us and says, come, embrace me, for I have embraced you. This year in 2018, will you let this God be the one who lights your way? Will you walk in his light and in his love? His love is for you. Let's pray.
God of light and love and hope, we give you thanks for the great mystery of the gospel of Jesus. We pray that you would plant deep in our hearts a love for you and one another that compels us forward in the world to be like him as those who love you and love our neighbor in all that we do and in all that we say and all that we think about. God, would you take us all that we are and all that we have and would you embrace us and heal us and make us whole that as we go forth into this new year, we may do so in the light and love of Christ, in whose name we pray, amen.